Well, I am preaching a message this morning called The Mirror, and uh, I'll explain what that means as, as we go along, um, but I want to tell you a little story of something that happened this week. Um, my daughter, Ella, she's, she's five years old. She doesn't really ask for that much. Um, she's pretty content most of the time, but the other night we went into her room, and it was like really hot in there. It, it was one of the warmer days. Uh, earlier this week, and um, so we opened up the window, and and I was like, Ella, do you do you want me to get you a fan? And she looks at me with all sincerity, with those you know um, adorable eyes, and she's like, No, Dad, I don't I don't need a fan. All, all I really want is a mirror. I'm like a mirror. <laughs> I'm like I wasn't even offering to buy you a fan. I was going to go into the garage. <laughs> and get one off the shelf <laughs> and bring it back. Uh, but I had actually promised her a mirror a long time ago, and she, she had not forgotten about that. <laughs> but I had, right? And so I hadn't picked one up yet, and so I decided in that moment, I'm going to get my daughter a mirror. And so I went to Menards and uh, was picking up a few things, and I had a memory of that conversation. I'm like, I'm going to find a mirror for Ella. So I went... And found this just simple, like, hang-on-the-door type mirror. It was $7. And I thought, wow, I'm getting so off so easy with this kid. <laughs> like, <laughs> her sister's, like, expensive shoes and electronics and jewelry. And they're going to camps and play travel soccer. They're costing me a fortune. Ella wants a $7 mirror. And so I, I put that mirror in my cart put it in my car, and as I'm driving home, I had this realization. That $7 might be the most expensive $7 I've ever spent. Now, now think about that for a second, and what a mirror actually represents, right? Because we look into that mirror, and if we don't like what we see, uh, then we have to change our life and our circumstances, the things that we're wearing, the way that we look, maybe put, putting makeup on, um, analyzing ourselves, and we critique ourselves with that mirror. It reveals to us, oftentimes it reveals to us imperfections in us that, that need to be changed. In, in fact, women look at mirrors differently than men. Now, I'm saying generally speaking, this is, this is an accepted fact, all right, when a guy looks at a mirror, they look at the mirror from their best possible angle, and they look at that mirror and they think, yeah, yeah that, that, that looks pretty good. I like that. Let me flex a little bit, right? And, and it's, we don't have necessarily the same wiring as, as a woman does. When a woman looks at a mirror, she analyzes every single imperfection in her body. Oh, there's a wrinkle under this eye, Right? There's a, there's a mole over here. I don't really like that. Oh, I put on a couple pounds. You know, analyzing, and they'll, like, they'll change the angle to find the worst possible angle that they could possibly um, look at themselves. And, and they analyze and critique themselves. And so I'm thinking, what have I done to my daughter, right, with this $7 mirror? Um, now, Ella's only five, um, but generally speaking... We do this as human beings. In fact, sometimes we even buy mirrors that magnify and have lights on them, right? Um, men don't buy those kind of mirrors. We don't want to see that, <laughs> right? But, 
but we use it to even look more closely, even to what the natural human eye cannot observe, we can see in those mirrors. Now, it's not just a mirror, though, right now. It's something else, too. Right? The mirror has evolved over the years, and now we have a new kind of mirror, right? This stupid device is not only functional as a mirror. You just have to turn the camera app on, and you, you turn it to selfie mode, and you can, you can see yourself. You can look closely just like a mirror, but it also gives you instant access to everyone else's pictures as well. Right? It not only shows us our flaws, but it gives us access to compare our lives to the photoshopped version of everyone else. And what it does is it creates a distorted view of ourselves and the world around us. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that reality? This is the world that we live in now. They didn't have this problem a hundred years ago. In fact, you go back far enough, they didn't even have mirrors, you know, if you go back far enough. So we could do two things. There's two different options. I'll let you decide what, what you want to do this morning. First of all, we could get rid of all mirrors and all, all cell phones. How many think that's a good idea this morning? And a few of you are like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Guess what? You're going to get outvoted on this one, right? Because the world around us is obsessed with these things, right? So the second option is this. We can learn who we really are. We can learn who we really are so that when we are looking at the cell phone, we are looking at the mirror, we understand what we're looking at. Uh, we're going to turn to James chapter 1 this morning. We're going to read this passage about the mirror. And uh, it's, it's going to teach us what our true mirror is. James chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 19. And uh, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, otherwise uh, it'll be on the screen as well. I'm going to read through it. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You know, we could stop right there, okay? And there's a message right there, but that's not even the part we're going to talk about this morning. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Somebody say amen. <laughs> But therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Okay, we're going to come back to that, what that means. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. So he starts out by saying, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, right? So start by listening, but don't just hear the word. Be a doer of the word as well. Not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like the man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he himself... For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, 
he will be blessed in his doing. A couple things I want us to learn from this passage of scripture um, this morning. First of all, our true identity is found in the word of God. It's found in the word of God. Verse 21 says that we are to receive the implanted word. Now there's, there's some debate as to what exactly this means. And, and I looked at a, several different commentaries to see what different scholars think. And most of them come to either one of these three things or maybe just a combination. That's kind of where I landed. I think it's really all three of these things. The first possibility for this implanted word is, is the new birth, right? Being made alive in Christ. It's the process of justification, which is where God gives us his son's righteousness, right? So he makes us a new person, a new creation in Christ. The old has come, the, or the old has gone, the new has come. It, it's the process of forgiveness of all our sins, that, that God removes our sin debt from us, that he gives us forgiveness. So that's part of it. And, and the second one is the new covenant. Now that goes in hand with the new birth, right? But the new covenant is the means in which we receive the new birth. Um, if you read the account of Jesus at the Last Supper, as he's gathered with his disciples, right? He's serving the cup, but he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's the way that God relates with humanity. So there have been multiple covenants throughout scripture. There was a covenant that God made with Abraham, where he made a promise to Abraham that his descendants um, would be like the stars in the sky, that, that he would create a new nation from his descendants. And then there was a covenant with Moses, and that was God giving the law to his people. There was a covenant with David that promised that the Messiah would be from his line. There was even a covenant back in the day with Adam. And, and all of these different covenants were ways that God would relate with humanity, and um, they were all imperfect, not because the covenant itself was imperfect, but because our ability on our end to fulfill what needed to happen in order for this to be a perfect covenant was, uh, was a failure, right? We were incapable of meeting our end of the bargain. And so God fulfilled his part of the covenant, but we fell short of our part. And that's why this new covenant that we're living under now, Jesus took our place and fulfilled our end of the agreement because we were incapable of living a sinless life, because we were incapable of being what needed to happen to fulfill that covenant with the Father. Jesus took our place. He was the substitution for us. And because of his sacrifice on the cross, now we have new life. So the new covenant is the work of Jesus that replaces our role in this covenant, right? And gives us access to the new birth. So those two things are very closely related. The third thing, and, and this is really interesting, some scholars believe that this implanted word refers to the Holy Spirit, um, Jesus was referred to, if you read John chapter 1, Jesus was referred to as the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Have you heard that, that verse before, that passage of scripture? So it's reasonable to think that if Jesus was the word became flesh, 
then the word implanted, the word put inside of us, could very well be the Holy Spirit. Um, When we are born again, when we receive the work of the new covenant into into our heart, when we place our faith in Jesus through that new covenant... Um, We're born again, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. That's why I think this is kind of a combination of all those three things. They're all connected. They're all related. Um, And and so this is the process of God implanting his word in us. In fact, there's another reference to to what happens inside of us, to the way that, that we ought to look at ourselves. Verse 25 tells us to look at the perfect law, the law of liberty. Okay, now this is in contrast to the law of Moses, which is that, that covenant, the old covenant that the Bible talks about a lot. In fact, in the book of Romans, Paul refers to um, the, the covenant with Moses as the law of sin and death. Now that might sound a little bit like, oh, that's not a great covenant. But once again, it wasn't that the covenant was bad. It wasn't that God's part wasn't perfect. It was our inability to fulfill it. It was a death sentence for us because we weren't capable of meeting our end of the bargain. But under the new covenant, under the law of liberty, Jesus took that for us. He took our place. And now because of that, we are set free from sin and death. So our identity is found in the word of God. Well, what does that mean? It's, it's the hope of the gospel. It's the message of Jesus Christ. It's the hope of salvation. It's all of that is, is who we are. Our identity is in the fact that we are a child of God, that he's adopted us into his family. Right? The word is the thing that tells us who we are. Here's the second thing. Our identity isn't defined by what we do. Now, You might read this passage, and we just read it together. Isn't this entire passage about doing and not just hearing? Well, kind of. But it doesn't define our identity, right? It's very clear in this passage that our identity defines what we do, not the other way around. Okay, so let's let's look at it again. Let's read it again and read it in the proper context and, and the proper understanding. Let's read just verse 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So in other words, this passage of scripture isn't saying your identity is based in what you do. It's that your identity should drive what you do. And if you're actions don't back up your faith, then it means you're forgetting who you are. When the man um, looks in the mirror, it's not, uh, it's not what he does that, that shapes who he actually is. His failure is in the fact that he forgot who he is. If your actions don't line up with your faith, It's because you have a distorted self-image. If you're not living out a godly life, if you're not serving others, in fact, if you continue to read this passage, it goes on to talk about what pure religion looks like, and it's caring for widows and orphans, and maybe you're looking at your life and you're like, 
you know, I'm not doing anything with my life to serve the Lord. Um, but that doesn't mean that's not who you are. It just means you've forgotten what you've looked like. You've allowed the world to distort your self-image. You've made yourself, your life into something that it was never intended to be. But if you placed your faith in Jesus, who you are as a child of God, you were created in Christ to do good works. We'll get to that. Um, here's the third thing. We need to remind ourselves of our identity daily. Daily. Every single day. Now, I want to just paint a, a picture for you. Just think about this for a second. Let's say you went to an art auction and you saw a painting at this art auction. How, I know some of you are thinking, I would never go to an art auction, but just pretend for a second that you would, that you're cultured and you like art. Okay, so you, you are looking at this particular painting and somebody comes up behind you and asks you what you think about that particular piece of art. And you, you respond candidly, you say, I think this is one of the ugliest paintings I've ever seen. The colors are awful. The concept looks like uh, it came from a seven-year-old. I wouldn't take this painting if somebody paid me to take it. I can't believe they're trying to sell it. And, and you remember your courtesies for a second. You say, oh, I'm sorry, sir, I didn't catch your name. The man tells you his name, and you, you'd swear you'd heard that name before. Then you finally see out of the corner of your eye the signature on the bottom of that painting. Uh-oh. It's the same name you just heard that man say. Now, how many of you in that moment would be utterly humiliated? Right? You'd be so embarrassed, you would probably run out of that auction. Why is that? Because when we criticize the art, we criticize the painter. You see where I'm going with this? Are you tracking with me? I will spell it out if you don't, okay? But here's the thing. When we look into the mirror and we criticize everything that we see, and I'm not just talking about our physical appearance. Maybe um, that is an issue for some of you, right? And you're looking at your physical appearance and you're frustrated by that and you're critical of that and you tear yourself down in, in, in what you look like. But it's not just our physical appearance that we criticize, that we tear down. It's everything about us. It's our personality. It's our behavior. It's our mannerisms. It's everything about us. And what are we ultimately doing when we're doing that? We're criticizing the artist. We're criticizing the one who formed you and designed you. Right? Psalm 139 tells us that God knitted us together in our mother's wombs, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he designed exactly who you are. He made your personality. And so when you look at that and you're upset every time that you see yourself in that mirror, whether it's a real mirror or a metaphorical mirror, you're looking at your life and you're evaluating yourself and you're critical of everything that you see, who are you ultimately criticizing? You might think you own your identity, but you don't. You are exactly who God made you to be. 
And when you are critical of what you see in that mirror, you're not criticizing yourself. You're criticizing the one who made you. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why is it so important to correctly evaluate our identity? Um, I preached on this topic probably, let's see, it would have been 2016, so about seven years ago. And I was looking through my notes, uh, and I came across this. And at the time, as I was preparing this message, this Lord, the Lord gave me this picture of what the church looks like today. And I don't mean West Point Church, I mean the church as a whole. And I saw this man sitting under a pile of chains. And God said, there are so many believers today who are sitting in their prison cell, completely unaware that if they would stand up, they would realize that every chain has been broken and they would just fall off. But instead, they believed the lie that they're still chained to their old life, their sin, their guilt, their shame, their past, and they're content to just sit in the bondage with the hope that when they die, then someday they'll have their freedom. Listen, Jesus didn't die on the cross just so that you could experience eternal life. He died on the cross so that you could experience freedom right now in this moment. And so many of us are living lives content to be held in captivity by the world and its chains. Now here's the amazing thing about Scripture. Um, when we read it, it says one thing to you. When you read it this afternoon... It's going to say the same thing to you. When you open it this evening and read it again, it's going to have the same message that it did this morning. Right? You're not going to read Ephesians 2.10 and, and it's going to say, for we are God's workmanship created by mistake in Christ Jesus when you read it later on today. Right? It's going to say the same thing over and over and over again. It's going to have the same method, message. It's going to have the same truths in it. And so when your, your team loses tonight in the NBA playoffs and you're depressed about the game, the word's going to say the same thing about you, right? Here's what Psalm 112 verse 3 says, Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. Now, again, I know that we have a hard time sometimes seeing ourselves as righteous, but what scripture tells us is that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That because of what he did on the cross, you are that, <laughs> even if you don't feel like it. Right? So surely the righteous will never be shaken, they will be remembered forever. Now, I want you to think about something for a second. Imagine you lose your job, or maybe your house burns down. 
Maybe you get a terminal prognosis from the doctor. Uh, or maybe you lose a family member or something happens in your life. And all of these circumstances create turmoil in our lives, right? What does Psalm 112 say? Surely the righteous will never be shaken. So how do we get to that place? When everything in our world is messed up and broken, when it's bringing us pain and turmoil. Well, here's the thing. If you attach your identity to your body, you're going to be a mess. Right? Because then everything that you do would be to gratify your immediate needs. And, and this is the way that a lot of our world lives. Right? Even non-believers at some level um, will follow their conscience to a point. And if we live for our bodies, this path is so destructive, it's unthinkable. And, and not only that, if you attach your identity to your personality or to your mind or to your feelings, then how you feel will dictate how you respond. Again, that's a disaster. That's a disaster waiting to happen. And if you attach your identity to what you do, whether it's your job or your hobbies or your relationships or even things like motherhood, you are setting yourself up for failure. Mom's one of the most freeing realities that you can know, that you can understand, is that your ability to raise your children perfectly is not tied to your identity. So that when you make mistakes in raising your kids, it does not change your value. It does not change who you are doesn't mean that we don't strive to be good mothers and that we shouldn't care about raising our kids. But listen, you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. It does not change how God sees you and how God values you. There's freedom in understanding where identity comes from. If we attach our identity to the fact that we have been forgiven that we have been made alive in Christ. If we attach our identity to, as, as we just read, as James says, the implanted word, then we will be unshaken. We can't be moved by a circumstance because we're attaching ourselves to an immovable, unchangeable, matchless word of God. And what he says about you. Now, uh, maybe you've seen this before, but have, have you seen like, um, it's even like a, a Christian like thing, a slogan uh, that it's on t-shirts and coffee mugs and stuff like this. And it just says, I'm enough, right? Can I let you in on a little secret? It's not true. You are not enough. Okay, uh, now I, some of you are like, oh no, I got one of those shirts. I don't know what I'm going to do with it now. Now, I, I want to say this. The intention and the heart behind that is, is really good. And there is a reality to that, that, that you don't need to do things to earn God's favor. And that's kind of the point and the heart and the message behind it. So don't throw your t-shirt away. It's fine. But here's the deal. You by yourself are not enough. 
but you and Jesus are enough. Right? It's in the hope that we have in Christ that we find that freedom, that peace, that hope. That is what our identity is in. Now, as, as we're like wrapping this up here, this is, this is not a guilt trip for doing the wrong thing sometimes. Okay, I want you to understand that. Um, if you are struggling um, with something in your life, whether it's behaviorally or whether it's, uh, whether it's identity related, maybe you're wrestling with depression or anxiety. Um, maybe you're just failing to live up to what God has called you to do and what he's called you to be. This isn't a guilt trip. This isn't something that, that you should feel badly for where you're at. This is a push. It's a reminder that God does not want you to stay where you're at. Um, regardless of how far you've come, you haven't arrived. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, well, I've, I've tried that before, right? Um, what part of daily did you miss in my, my third point there, Okay. Can I, can I help you understand something? This is not a, a battle that is won at one time and then it's over for the rest of your life. Because Satan is constantly trying to tear down your identity. And he's constantly trying to, to make you feel inadequate. And he's constantly trying to point you to look at the wrong thing, to look at the wrong mirror. And it's a daily choice to look into the mirror of God's word. So as the, the worship team comes, I, I want to just give you an opportunity to respond. I want us to take a step and, and do something differently today. Um, what I want us to do is to make a declaration of who we are in Christ. And I'm going to ask that if you are wrestling with something inside of you right now, and you've maybe forgotten who you are, we're going to ask you to take a leap of faith today and to make a declaration of who God says that you really are. And so if that's you today and you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now, would you take a step of faith and just come right down to the front here? And we're going to declare something together. But if this is speaking to your heart, would you just be bold enough to take that step of faith and come at this moment and say, yeah, that's me. I'm wrestling with this, and I need the Lord to change my perspective. I need him to reveal who he really is to me. That's you. Would you just get up out of your seat and just come right to the front right now? Yeah. I'd ask with the rest of us, would we just stand in this place? We're going to do something together. And I'm going to ask that even if you're not standing at the front here, that you do this with us. Um, I wrote this a few years ago, more than a few years ago, um, when I was really struggling with believing what God said about me, and it was, 
I, I looked up some things online um, and I kind of rewrote them a little bit and for about a year and a half in my life I would recite this, these 10 statements every single day. Get up in the morning, spend time in the word and say these things out loud. And it did something inside of me. It changed my perspective. I felt really insecure about what God had called me to do. About the the things that he put uh, inside my heart. And it was only through stating the truth of Scripture through these statements that it began to reform the way that I thought. So I'm going to ask us to declare these truths together. We're going to put them on the screen. And I'm asking that we would all as a church read them out loud. And, And here's the deal. If you're wrestling with identity today, I want you to to declare this, to mean it in your heart, to understand that this is the word of God, that it is true, that it is accurate about what it says about me. So we'll we'll put them on the screen and we'll read them together. Here's the first one. I am a new creature in Christ, forgiven and free of shame and condemnation and washed by his powerful blood. It's the second one. I live by faith, not by sight or by feelings. And my faith is rooted in the eternal word of God. I refuse to receive a spirit of fear today because I am given by God a spirit of power, love, and self-control. I can do all things today through Christ as he gives me strength. His strength is made perfect in my weakness, and whatever I face today, He will give me the strength to match and overcome it. I am fearfully and wonderfully made by God. I am His workmanship, His masterpiece. Therefore, I will praise Him at all times, and I will not walk in insecurity. God will supply all my needs. He will increase my supply and will cause me to live in crazy favor. I am blessed to be a blessing. I will sow and reap generously on every occasion, will live to give cheerfully, and will learn to steward well God's blessings in my life. I have everything I need today concerning life and godliness. Therefore, I will live a pure life, striving for the holiness of God, casting down vain imaginations, and taking disobedient thoughts captive, and walking in my identity in Christ. My home is built on Christ, and will stand when the storms hit. My children are blessed and protected, And as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Today, I will increase in favor with God and man, in compassion for others, in anointing and godly influence, in wisdom and in faith. There's power in that, amen? 
listen, whether you fully comprehend that or whether you believe it or not, there's truth in that. It's who God has made you to be. Now in response, let's walk it out. Let's live it out. James tells us not to just be hearers of the word, right? You heard it all today. Now begin to do it. Let's stand, we're already standing. Let's worship the Lord one more time this morning as a declaration of who he is and what he's done in our life.